Amen. What a great reminder. Every day, give thanks. This morning, as you turn with me back to the Gospel of Mark, let me ask you a question. And if you're a sibling, uh, I imagine you will readily say yes. Has there ever been a time that you're accused or punished or treated wrongly for doing right? Ever been a time in your life where you're, you went home, you told your parents, you're like, listen, I tried to do right in school, and this person or that person or whatever reason, uh, you go home and tell your spouse, I'm trying to do right on my job, and it just seems like that everything that I do seems like the world comes against me. Have you ever suffered for your faith? You ever lost a job or been mistreated by coworkers because you were religious? Well, we see the pattern throughout the world today, and it all goes back to the person of Jesus. Jesus Christ, the most mistreated person on the face of the earth, was the one that deserves everything we sing about today. All honor and all glory and all praise. I still, I was convicted after the first chorus uh, that we were to praise him by lifting our hands. I thought, well, I'm singing it and I'm not doing it. That don't make any sense. If I'm going to sing that I ought to worship the Lord with my hands raised up, I ought to do it. Well, Jesus was accused of a lot of things of, uh, and still today, there's all kinds of theories and secret Bible codes and all of this. But I'm here to tell you, it's not because of his failures, but because he didn't fail. You see, today as we look in this first part of the chapter, we see a scandalous service. A scandalous service. They'll get it going in a minute. I, the, if you look in Mark, just look with me now in chapter 1, or chapter 6 rather, in verse 1. And he went out from thence and he came into his own country. It's like Thanksgiving week. He went home. I mean, he went home to see his mom and his brothers and his sisters and you know, no doubt he would sit at his mother's table, and there's something special about that. And he was going to enjoy that time, but he was still busy about the father's business. And his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath day was come, he began to teach in the synagogue. You know, that is what he does. And many hearing him were astonished, saying from where has this man these things? And what wisdom is this which is given unto him that even such mighty works are wrought by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph and of Judah and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And listen to the last part of this verse. And they were offended at him. 
The word offended in the original language literally means to scandalize. To scandalize. Or to trip up, to stumble, or entice to sin. It is an entrapment or apostasy. It is full-on displeasure. There's many scandals in the world today, from politics to governments to people who are famous to local celebrities. There's scandals in people's homes. There's scandals on the job. There's scandals in sports. Everywhere you turn, there seems to be some scandal. And the world is waiting on the next one so that through the, the repetition of, of scandals and the, the media circus that they can keep it going. Now I want you to understand something today. These scandals in the world may be uh, centered on their sin, but I want you to understand it's not because of just that. I want you to understand Jesus is the biggest scandal in the world. Not because of some secret sin he had. It's not because he fathered some child, the Bible doesn't record, or some falsehood regarding his deity. No, the scandal is because he is who he says he is, and he is who the Bible says he is. Jesus Christ the Lord. Now here's the scandal. Isaiah prophesied in chapter 53, verse 3, He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. It literally says, He caused such a scandal that the world rejected him, the world denied him, the world tried to do away with him, and yet we have Easter. Insert amen right there. That we do not just celebrate Christmas, but we celebrate the risen Savior who is Christ the Lord. Now I want you to look with me again at the depth of the scandal in verses 1 through 3. And see the scrutiny of the message. <laughs> There's never been so many professionals at everything as there are today. And if you don't believe me, just ask somebody. They know everything about sports. We have the greatest grammatical people living today there ever have been. We have the deepest theologians the world has ever produced. And you need not even ask them. I'm sure that they'll let you know. And everyone is right and everybody is wrong. Now see how circular that is? And there's nothing but fighting it. And we're now parsing everyone's uh, uh, verbiage. We, we're breaking down everything. Well, what do you mean by that? And one of the problems is you can't 
read inflection. You can't read emotion. You can't read any of that in texts, emails, and social media. You don't know if they're smiling. You don't know if they're trying to have fun with the situation or they're really trying to gig someone. And so someone's always at someone else's throat. Well, I want to tell you something. Jesus stood face to face with them, taught them in the synagogue, and yet they scrutinized the message. Notice with me again. He went into his own country. He's in Nazareth. He is where the angel of the Lord came and visited his mother and said, you will conceive a child by the Holy Spirit. God himself shall overshadow you. And you're going to give birth to the Messiah. He is in that town. He is where he grew up. And when the Sabbath day was come, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many hearing him, they were astonished. Well, you know, a lot of people are astonished at Jesus. I want to tell you something. When Jesus is on the scene, no one, no one, absolutely no one can stay neutral. You cannot walk away from Jesus having not made a decision in your life. I'm reminded when Jesus, with his disciples sitting around, they're having a casual meal, it's just them. Jesus looked around at his apostles and he said, Hey, y'all been in and out of town? Y'all been in, in and out, you know, of, uh, of Jerusalem Mart down there? And you went through McDavid's and picked you up a happy meal? And uh, There actually is a McDavid's. I've, I've been there. Um, who, who, who do men say that I am? What, what's everybody talking about? You know, we can talk about music. You and I will disagree. Some here like new stuff. They like the hip hop, and they like the rap, and they like all that stuff. And some of us like the really, 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 really old stuff. And some people like Bruce like listening to somebody that you can't even understand. I was with him. Uh, and we can, we can disagree about genres of things. But when it comes to truth, Jesus, they, they said, well, some say a prophet, and some say Elijah, and some say this. And Jesus all of a sudden, has Jesus ever just smacked you in the face with something? And maybe today God, through me, somehow speaks into your heart truth and you've got to do something. And this is what Jesus does. We're looking around. We're saying, oh, man, Jimmy did a great job singing about thankfulness. And those were great worship songs. The choir, even though they were kind of dead, man, they brought it this morning. That was wonderful. And even the preacher, you know, kind of had a kind of update. But for average days, anything's up. Uh, so everything's good. And we're just, you know, it's been a good day in the Lord. We're having, man, we're looking forward to Thanksgiving and going on trips and all that. And all of a sudden, Jesus spins your heart and he speaks into your soul and he says, but who do you say that I am? What are you going to do with that? We're going to mumble? I'm going to tell you something. We're living in the most apathetic church age of all time. Where worship doesn't matter, 
unless it fits our preferences. We won't come. We make every excuse. We, we are not serious about our, our experiencing God. And I'm not talking about just a book study. I'm talking about experiencing God on a daily basis. Do we look for God just during a little time that we can stick Him on a Sunday morning? That's what this crowd were doing. On, on, on the Sabbath, they were looking for a little slice of God. But during their day, during their vocation, during the times of recreation, they weren't worried about God. They were worried about them. This is what happened. It says here, they were astonished. Where, where has this man got these things? What wisdom is this? They understood this was way above anything that they could understand. There was such depth and truth. And sometimes people can look just like Pilate into the face of very truth and say, what is truth? And turn and walk away. You say, see, they did not question him for answers. Y'all have heard me say from this pulpit, and I will continue to believe this. It's not wrong to question God if you're willing to hear and obey what he says. I mean, how many times do we see people throughout Scripture say, Father, what, what would you have me do? What do you want me to do? Our heart should be that way. What, what do you want from me? What, what direction do I need? And every day, I don't know about you, I can't go a moment without seeking God's direction in my life. Well, what about this and what about that? And what should I preach? What do I do with my children? What about my marriage? What about finances? What about all the other things and, and church and community and all the other things? But you see, they didn't ask him wanting answers. They question, first of all, his theology. And in that, we see an unthankfulness. In Romans chapter 1, he, he says it this way. Because that when they knew God, when they knew God, they saw the evidence of God. The Bible tells us that even through creation, in this, in this context, even through creation, man is without excuse. So that when they knew God, they didn't glorify Him. Are you glorifying God in everything you do? I'm going to tell you something. Glorifying God is more than wearing Christian t-shirts and putting a fish on the bumper of your truck. It's more than riding... As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That's on the wall in my living room. But it's more than that. It's living Him by what comes through that TV. It's living Him and that home being dedicated to Him in the quiet, private moments of my life when nobody else is watching. My wife left here Thursday morning. And thank you for all of your prayers. She, her and her brother were able to go up home and close out and sell her, their mother's home. And so we're thankful for that. But I'm going to tell you, as much as I like football, it just, and, and I'll sit and watch it and she'll watch Hallmark all day. But she's there. Maybe she's watching. You ready for this, baby? 
I told her this. Man, it just got real quiet yesterday. It got real quiet. And I've got my stuff out studying, and I'm watching football and things like that. And, you know, it just seemed to not matter until after Georgia Tech beat Virginia. And then, you know, I'm just sitting there in the, in the quietness, and I'm like, my kids are up there, my wife's up there, my parents are up there, and I'm sitting here in this house. I got Trooper, but he really don't care. And there was just this wave of, of emptiness. Well, in our lives, sometimes we're not thankful. In the midst of when we've got it. And we don't recognize it until it's gone. And I'm thankful for my wife and I'm thankful for my kids, but how often do we go through our days just like this context? We know God, but we're not glorifying Him as God. And we're not thankful. Why? Because we've become vain in our imaginations. We imagine all the things we can be doing and all the things we can be apart from God. We have perpetrated a lie on the generation after generation it said if you work hard and you try hard and you play hard you can be anything you want and be happy I'm going to tell you something real happiness and real joy is found in the center of what God wants for you not what you want for you but we have somehow adopted that into our theology look they were unthankful look look where he was teaching. He was teaching in the synagogue. He was a place where if anybody understood thankfulness, it ought to be them. Real quick, let's just have a little concise recap of the Old Testament. God created it. Man messed it up. Kicked out of the garden. God provided. God called Abram. God made him Abraham. God gave him a Son of promise. Isaac had Jacob. Jacob had the tribes. The tribes became Israel. They forgot Joseph. God didn't forget them. God provided for them and the rest of the world through a man who was scandalized for something he had not done. God gave them judges. They rejected the judges. They wanted kings. God gave them kings. God gave them good kings. Good kings turned into bad kings. They ended up in exile. God delivered them out of exile. And yet, they still, when Jesus walks into their synagogue, rejects his theology. Why? Because their worldview had been tainted. You see, a real Christian worldview views everything through number one, God made it all. If you can't get settled on creationism, nothing else will be settled. If God's not God of all, God is not God at all. Y'all with me? It was tainted. Their, their, 
their idea, listen, there are religions today who claim to be Christian who believe in what is called theistic evolution. They, oh yeah, God made it, but God took his hands off of it and let it just run wild and we can do whatever we want, however we want, whenever we want. I'm going to tell you something, God's never lost control. God's never ignored what's going on in this world. God has never turned a blind eye. It breaks God's heart. But God still sees every sparrow that falls. Am I right? But yet they question his theology on this. Why? Because of legalism and tradition. The Bible tells us in Matthew 15, 9 that they had begun teaching Traditions of men as being doctrine. What had evolved over the years. You don't know something that's killed the 20th and 21st century church, the Southern Baptist Church especially? Traditions. Family-run churches, deacon-run churches, all based on tradition. Well, that's the way we've always done it. I'm going to tell you something. That sure don't make it right. And that's S-H-O-R-E, sure, don't make it right. Because there's some things I brag on my parents, but you know, they hadn't done everything right. And there were, my grandfather, both of them, hardworking. My, my mother's dad retired from driving a dump truck for Cobb County government when he was 75 years old. I, I went to work at the county my grandfather was still working. But they didn't do everything right. They'd fly hot. They would get angry about things. They didn't do some things right in their homes or on the job. They messed up just like everybody. They needed Jesus. That's what makes me so thankful is they told me that. I'm not perfect. I'm not the one to follow. But even in that, we bring a pre-understanding to everything. We all were raised somewhere. Whether you was raised with wolves or raised in a palace, you bring that raising with you. And it helps formulate your worldview. And it, it, it becomes tradition. And until that is nailed to the cross, what will come from that is legalism or liberalism. We become very legalistic. We say, well, you can't look like this. You can't dress like this. You can't act like this. You need to follow the strict guidelines of the church. That's nothing more than pharisaical, scribal Judaism when we start saying, you've got to look like me, sound like me, act like me, talk like me, sing like me, worship like me. Now I'm going to tell you something that we can't give on is we all got to believe the same truth. The message cannot change. It will not change. It will stand when the world's on fire. It has been targeted. It has tried to be hidden. Listen, for ages, through the dark ages, through Nazism, through communism, through China, through Soviet Union, through Europe, and through America today, they're trying to get rid of Jesus. That's the scandal. But make no mistake about it. He is King of kings, Lord of lords, and nobody will diminish that. We must get right on our theology. It cannot be legalistic. It cannot be liberal where we accept everything 
and anything for the sake of not wanting to upset anybody. I'm going to tell you something. I thank God that my pastor, that that preacher that night during a revival, that my mama and my daddy did not worry about my feelings, but worried about my soul when they told me there was a real heaven and a real hell. And without Jesus, I would go to the second one. But that Jesus loved me so much that he gave his life on an old rugged cross so that I may be set free. I'm going to tell you, what are you doing? How are you helping? And are you really caring about someone? If you walk hand in hand down the primrose path of destruction, afraid of upsetting them. Now, I don't, I don't mean to be sarcastic and, and, and self-aggrandizing. I don't mean to be a pompous Christian where you're beating people over the head, but in humility, remembering where you came from and by grace, where you're going, tell others they need Jesus. Their, theology, their, their idea of his theology, they scrutinized his authority. Listen, they were unteachable. They were unteachable. They chose not to remember. What what were they choosing not to remember? Well, in Judges chapter 8, verse 34 tells us this. And the children of Israel remembered not the Lord their God. Have you ever heard somebody say, I hate history? Don't say that out loud. Don't, don't, don't say that out loud. Without history, you're not here. Huh? Glad my mom and daddy's got a history. I'm glad that the Southern Baptist Convention has a history. Centered right here in Georgia. And a lot of the, the Bible Belt. I'm glad that Christianity has a history. It didn't come through some golden tablets hidden under a bed or through some rocks in a hat on top of a man's head. It didn't come through some mathematical uh, uh, secret through the pyramids given to one man at the end of the Civil War. It didn't come through some self-proclaimed prophet who married nine-year-olds and 14-year-olds set up what would be known as the Ottoman Empire. It didn't come through believing that we ought to give everything away and everybody be on an equal basis and that government knew better than us, such as men like Lenin and Marx would tell us. We didn't find the solutions in Mao Zedong or Ho Chi Minh or Stalin or Brezhnev. or Reagan, or Obama, or Bush, or Trump today. Real authority, real authority can do whatever he wants. But the real authority will do what is needed. Jesus Christ was challenged to hanging on the cross. If you are the Son of God, 
come down. Call a legion of angels. But because he was the son of God, as well as the son of man, he chose not to. Why? Because that night before, he had knelt and cried and wept and struggled till it came out, uh, his sweat came as great drops of blood and said, Father, not my will, but thy will be done. And God gave him the keys to the kingdom. Some of us today a bit on that second or third temptation where Satan takes him in the wilderness and takes him up there on the pinnacle and says, all this can be yours if the price is right. Jesus could have said it already is. But he went back to the word and he went back to God's, his father's will. When we get our eyes off of him and we think somehow we've got the authority, I want to tell you something. We become unteachable. We choose not to remember God's past deliverance. I've already went through the whole Old Testament. God has delivered us up unto today. We are not some glob or mass that just happened and just keeps spinning on this orb throughout this time. Listen, if there is a time and we're passing through time, then it is by the fact of the first principles of causality, if there is time, then there must be that which is timeless. If there is a design, there must be a designer. If there are morals, then there must be a moral giver. If there is creation, there must be a creator. We have forgotten our past deliverance and then the prophetic deliverance. God says, a Messiah is coming. We have the luxury of looking back 2,000 years ago. See all this? We're getting ready for our children's Christmas pageant. You know what we do? We look in the Bible, don't we? And we go over the Bible story, and we look back at what happened over 2,000 years ago. But 4,000 years ago, they were looking forward to the coming of the Messiah. And David told him he was coming. Isaiah told him that he was coming. And all through the Old Testament, all the way back to Genesis 3, God himself looked at Satan and said, Jesus is coming. And he is going to smash your head. He said it. It's in Genesis 3.15. And he tells us in Romans 16.20, and it's going to happen shortly. See, Paul was a country boy. And he said, shortly, just a little while, God will crush Satan's head under your feet shortly. They had a problem with authority. They had a problem with his genealogy. Look what it, they said. Well, look at this carpenter. The Bible never says he was a carpenter. It says his father was a carpenter. So right off the bat, they were deflecting. Isn't that what people do when they try to win an argument? They try to deflect. And if you ever get around somebody that all they want to do is ask you questions, they don't ever want to talk about themselves, they're trying to keep the attention off of them. They just do. They want to keep you off balance. They want to get you thinking about you because people love to think about themselves. 
And, and so they're trying, and it's this unbelieving spirit in their life. that They question his work. They said, where does all this come from? They question his status. Look who his mama is, and look who his brothers and his sisters. What makes him better than them? Because God said so. Right? Because God said so. And when people ask you, what right do you have as a Christian? Humbly and lovingly say, because that's what God's Word says. Now you better be able to back it up. That's why you need to study it. That's why you need to read it. That's why you need to walk with Him daily. Because if you're going to deal with the questions of the world, of the unthankfulness and the unteachability, the unbelieving in, in the world today, uh, of His own, they question His integrity. Look in verse 3. I mean, who does he think he is? They were offended at him. They were offended. He was a scandal to them. He's in our synagogue. He's stirring everything up. He's, he's messing with what we've tried to do. They were unbelieving. But then I want you to notice the stifling of the Spirit. I can usually, and I, I'm, I don't have the spirit, spiritual gift of discernment. Sometimes I wished I did, and sometimes I'm really glad I don't. But the one thing I can tell, and I think it's the pastor's heart, by the time we get through the first line of the first song, I can just about tell if there's a stifling spirit in the worship. This morning, about jumped the banks with the choir song. It was good. Any day started singing, listening to Mike Tittle singing, Mayor's a good day. I'm not joking. That wasn't a funny joke. That was true. But to see everybody worshiping and raising their hands and clapping, giving God the praise, not the choir, that, that's a wonderful spirit of worship. But what happened here, look in verse 4. Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor, but in his own country. In other words, he's accepted everywhere but at home. And among his own kin and in his own life. And he could there do no mighty work except that he laid his hands on a few sick folk and healed them. Let me ask you something. That almost sounds diminishing, doesn't it? What if you were that one sick folk? How big do you think it would have been? Huh? If you were one out of a hundred, wouldn't it be big? I mean, Jesus changed your life. You know why? Because they were willing. But the story goes, it said, and he marveled because of their unbelief. The depth of their rejecting, their in unbelief and in, in, in having an unteachable, unthankful spirit literally took away the Lord's breath as he marveled at it. And he went round about the villages teaching. It didn't stop him. Listen, there was a stifling of the Spirit there. We often limit Jesus just as they did. We limit him in our minds. They said, this, this, there can't be anything to it. I mean, come on. He was, you remember one scripture in another gospel that says, Can any good thing come from Nazareth? 
Some people, listen, we live in a world where truth doesn't matter. If the truth gets in the way, they'll just change it. Am I right? We have the reconstructionists today. In politics, oh, we've never been a Christian nation and blah, 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 and they were this and they were that. I'm going to tell you something. Not so. Don't let the world write or rewrite true history. If you don't believe me, go to Washington, D.C. and inspect every monument up close. And you'll find scripture written on everything. From the top of the Washington Monument to the marble over the speaker's well in Congress to Leviticus written around the Liberty Bell. It's not in Washington. You'll have to go to Philadelphia for that. But you see what happens is we limit Jesus in our minds. We say, that can't be so, Lord. You don't understand. Really? What does the Lord not understand? He's born of a woman. He lived without sin. Well, see, right there, you just said it. He can't understand because he never sinned. We think, now listen to me. Y'all Sunday school teachers, some of the greatest teaching on how to be a parent is written between Romans and Hebrews. What are, they, what are those books called? The what kind of epistles? Pauline. Why do we call them that? Because Paul wrote them. Doesn't he tell us in, in Ephesians about how to be a good husband, how to be a good wife, how to love the church, or love your wife even as Christ loved the church and gave himself? How a wife is to love her husband and submit, that they are to submit one to another. Does it not teach kids to honor and obey their parents? Does it not teach a master how to deal with others? As far as we know, Paul was never married. Paul never had children, as far as we know. He told them one time, he said, listen, it's better to marry than to burn, but if you can be like me and not be married, then, then that's really good. You'll be devoted. But he says, you don't have to take a vow of celibacy. My whole point is, the real truth is, you say, well, Jesus don't understand. He never went through it. Think about this. Jesus in all ways was tempted, right? And the fullest measure of temptation is up to the point where you don't break. See, if you give in to sin and you break, and you allow that sin, that, that tempta temptation's not sin, by the way. It doesn't become sin until it's conceived in our heart. If you continually refuse, if you've ever fasted, talking about biblical fasting you've ever done that the longer you go the harder it gets until finally there's a breakthrough where the spirit overcomes the flesh and you are seeking the higher word of God rather than the temporal issues of life Jesus experienced the full weight of temptation for 33 and a half years he knows better what you go through than you know yourself because he never gave in. We've got to stop. We've got to stop scrutinizing everything about the Spirit in our minds, in our homes. They said, oh, look what kind of home he come from. 
Can I tell you something? According to Scripture, what I believe, his, I don't know about his sisters, but I know Jude and James, based on Scripture, did not become believers until after they saw their brother's resurrection. And just because your whole family is just as lost as a ball in high weeds does not mean you can't serve God. It doesn't mean that God can't do a great work in your life. You're not limited by your past, but you're freed by Jesus. Does that do anything for you? They question they question him in their homes. Why, why do we need Jesus here? I mean, why do, we, why do we need all this stuff? I wonder how many of them had the Shema hanging on the inside of their door. That's from Deuteronomy. It's the second law giving and where Jesus or where God said, Hear, O Israel. Listen. And then there's what God said, I'll be your God. And, you know, you'll love the Lord God and all and it's called the Shema, which literally means when he says, hear, O Israel, the word hear in the original language literally means listen to obey. Now, how often do we sing victory in Jesus and live completely defeated lives? How often do we quote John 3:16 and Psalm 23, yet we go through life like a lost sheep? And like one who has never experienced the full weight of the love of God. We question him in our homes. We question him with our hands. Oh, but I can't do this. Moses tried that. Listen, over and over and over throughout time, people's question God. Oh, God, you can't do anything with me. Yet God does great things in the most ordinary of circumstances. You know why? He gets all the glory. That's why it's called a supernatural gift. If you'd have known me as a 17-year-old boy, you would have never guessed I'd be up here right now. I can assure you of that. God does great things through ordinary people. Stop questioning with your hands and with our hearts. They said, oh, no, 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 no. I mean, he marveled at the depth of their unbelief. Are we coming week after week and yet our belief is so shallow? But notice the sensitivity to the mission. In verse 7, he called unto him the twelve and began to send them forth by two and two and gave them power over unclean spirits. And he commanded them that they should take nothing for their journey except a staff, no script, no bread, no money in their purse. I don't know about you, but that's some big time faith. I texted my wife last night. I said, you got some cash? Because I'm going to be leaving here tomorrow, heading up there, and we're going to the mountains. Do we have some cash in case something happens? Every, I know for all the fathers and mothers in here that sent their kids to college, when you walk away and you hug their necks and you give them kisses and you tell them to say their night-night prayers and all that stuff, usually... A lot of times it's the daddy, he'll turn back around, open that wallet, and reach way deep down inside. And it, it, I don't know what breaks his heart more, leaving his child or leaving that money, but he brings it out. 
And like my daddy used to do, and I, I wished I had a regular wallet, but my daddy would open his wallet like this and said, Dad, I need, or he'd say, listen, son, we'll give you something. I see money. And my daddy would do like this. And I'd reach out for it, and I'd get my hand back right here, and he'd hold on to it. And I'd look at that money, and he'd say, now, son. And I'd be looking at the money, and finally I'd realize I need to lift my eyes, and I'd raise my eyes, and I'd look at him. And once I'd look at him, then he would tell me what he wanted to tell me. There was a lesson in the gift. Now, son, this money is for this. This is what you need to spend it. And listen, like, like Philip told you early, remember what your name is. As a coach, I've always told my players, remember what name is written across your jersey. When we go play away, if it's got Pleasant Home on it, if it's got Claxton on it, if it's got McEachern on it, if it's got Pinewood on it, if whatever it is, you represent everyone. Daddy would hold it. And I'd be like, come on, Daddy. Turn that stuff loose. Now I got to go. Daddy give me the, that's probably some of the greatest lessons I got in my life. And I can remember walking away so far three times. And each time, the last thing I do, whip it out. And I say, this is for emergency. This is for emergency. Now, this, this is not for Zaxby's. This is not for Chick-fil-A. And I know for a lot of people, Chick-fil-A is an emergency. This is not for Chick-fil-A. This is for emergency. Such as when you got to get two tires on the front of your car last week. Listen. God has got his wallet of heaven open and he's waiting on us to lift our eyes and stop looking at the gift and looking at the giver. That's good right there. That's not even written in the notes, but that's good. And we need to realize that in our service, it's service to one. You're not serving me. If you're holding back from signing up for Night to Shine or helping with basketball or something because you're mad at me, listen, Come talk to me, but sign up anyway because it's not about me. It's about the one who died for you and me. Now I want to ask you a question. If someone led you to the Lord and you were not raised on a castaway island by yourself with just you, some coconuts, and a Bible, and you looked around and saw God is good, God's Word is true, and you trusted Jesus as your Savior by yourself. Somebody led you to the Lord. Somebody preached the gospel. Somebody prayed over you. Somebody prayed with you and showed, them, showed you who Jesus was. And God quickened that through the convicting, convincing power of the Spirit, and you trusted Him as your Lord and Savior. I want you to imagine if that person told the Lord no. I don't know what that would look like. I know that Mordecai told Esther, if you don't do it, God will raise up somebody else who will. But I, I don't know what 
that looks like. What I do know is I'm thankful for the ones who cared enough to tell me about the gospel. Have you told anybody, anybody, have you told your wife, your husband, your children, your parents, your uncles, brothers, sisters, family members, co- have you told anybody that Jesus loves them? Don't ask people if they go to church. Ask people, are they saved or born again by the blood of Jesus? God will get the church going business straight. It doesn't matter. Everybody's got some church story. Yeah, I go over yonder. They ain't darkened the doors of a church in 40 years. They went to Bible school uh, with, Aunt, with Aunt Judy back in 1963. Church ain't even there anymore. But they'll still say that's where, the, that's where they belong, that's where this, and that's where they... Listen, he tells us that he sent them out to... What if, what if you don't go? He said, don't take all this stuff. Just trust me. Put on your shoes. Don't take two coats now. One's good. And he said, in what place, whatsoever you enter into it, that house, there abide until you depart from that place. And whosoever shall not receive you nor hear you, he's reflecting back on this crowd. He said, depart. Shake off the dust under your feet for a testimony against them. For verily I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. And they went out and preached that men should repent. And they cast out many devils and anointed with oil many that were sick and healed them. He's gone from healing Jesus healing a few sick to the apostles healing many. The sensitivity to the mission is the fact that Number one, we're in service to one. Faith in Jesus, faithful to Jesus. Serving together takes us all. Did y'all enjoy the choir this morning? What if we just didn't show up next, next time? You just say, well, you know, that's the way it is, but yet you won't come. What if your Sunday school teacher stopped coming? I love my Sunday school class now. Blah, blah. What if we stop having any kind of children's ministry? What if you show up and we say, we ain't going to have any nursery. Nobody will keep it. Yeah, well, I've done outgrown all that. and I've done. Listen, he said he sent them two. He didn't send them as lone rangers. He sent them together. Walking. How can two walk together unless they agree? We've got to agree together. We're going to take back our city for Jesus. This whole apathetic Come if we want. We're teaching the next generation that Jesus is important unless there's something else to do. We're going to have to start serving together. We're different but equal. Everybody's not called to preach. Everybody's not called to sing. Everybody's not called to teach. But listen, everybody's called to worship. Everybody's called to be a soul winner. We need to be inviting. We need to be encouraging. We need to be working together. Different, but equal. And then we ought to be serving others. We serve one. We serve together. But we ought to be serving others. People need Jesus, church. Can you think of anybody right now in the quietness of this moment? 
Can you think of somebody this week, if you're thankful for what God has done in your life, you can think of somebody right now that needs Jesus. They need him mentally. They're like this crowd. They've blocked him out. They claim to be an atheist or they just don't, don't know if we can believe in a God. And they've started questioning because National Geographic tells us that sharks are 400 million years old and, and that Yosemite and Yellowstone with all of this erosion and all this, that, that it's 3 billion years old and all these other things has come from this and that. And, and, and science and the world is telling them there's no possible way there's a God. Listen, people need Jesus mentally. People need him physically. Those of you who come to prayer meeting on Wednesday night, what is the number one prayer request that we get every week? Sickness. Sickness. There's a lot of sickness. From my, I'm not even going to start naming any. There's just a lot of physically, physical needs in this world, right? You ever had a physical need? You get a kidney stone, you'll ask somebody to pray. I can, I can promise you that. And it may be, God, just kill me. But there's a physical need. Just like last week, the woman said, if I can just, if I can just touch the hem, I don't need to rub his back. I don't need to caress his arm. I can just touch the very outside hem of his garment. He'll do something. What if we got back to that kind of faith? If we can just get people to touch the hem of his garment. We don't need to be some radical, new, programmed. We just need to get people back into believing and reaching out in faith to touch the hem of his garment. God is able. God is able, church. God is able! God can change you. All of us here today, we don't know the dark recesses of life, but I can promise you something. You're here by God's grace. There is no reason anybody should survive human birth. I'm serious. How many parents has ever snuck into their, their baby's room or got up and just looked over in the corner of their bedroom into that cradle and just stood there and got real close just to make sure your baby's breathing? Anybody ever done that? I'm not the only knucklehead. I think I got up more than the baby did. It'd get real quiet. Emily slept eight hours first night we brought her home from the hospital. I'm not joking. We brought her home. She went to bed like an adult. She's still like that. She get ready. She said, I'm going to bed. Ethan was two years old before we got a full night's sleep. Me and Becky walked around like zombies. But those times when he would get quiet, it didn't seem right. You see, when we first got married, we lived by a railroad track, real close. At least it wasn't any further than here to 301, probably a little closer. And I realized when we moved, we sold that house, we moved away, all of a sudden it's, oh, what is that? Becky's like, I don't hear anything. I said, exactly. Where's the train? Do you know the most startling thing about 9-11? I lived right in the path of one of the main thoroughfares for the planes on, uh, on their pre-final descent into Atlanta. I was 
25, 30 miles from the airport. But when you're going four, 500 miles an hour, I mean, you're coming on down at that point. So every day of my life, Dobbins Air Force Base, Lockheed with C-5s and C-130s and everything else, every day of my life had been constant planes and jets over my head. And all of a sudden, it's just dead quiet. And it was a little emotionally disturbing. There's people with a lot of emotions and emotional issues in this life. They're struggling. They're struggling. They don't know whether to be happy, whether to be sad. You ever woke up on a day and you didn't feel right? You couldn't tell why everything was good? Satan is a depressor. Satan's a liar. Satan's a deceiver. And if you wake up, listen, just pray. Are you living in fear? Are you emotionally locked up by fear? Fear is not of God. But power and love and a sound mind is. We need to be serving others in their mental issues. Not rejecting them, but taking them in and loving on them. Physically praying over them, helping them emotionally lifting them up, wrapping our arms around them, and then, of course, spiritually. There's a lot of people with spiritual needs in this world. But the greatest message never changes. They preached, repent. Repent. What did John the Baptist say? Repent. What did Jesus say? Repent. What did the apostles say? Repent. What did Paul and Peter and Timothy and Titus and Philemon and John, the revelator, what did they all say? Repent. For the kingdom of God is at hand. Churches, they come to the instruments. It's a scandalous gospel that says there's a hell of torment for those who reject a sinless Savior. But make no mistake about it, it's scandalous because we don't want to deal with it. But the truth is, God created us. And we, through Adam, have all sinned. And the only hope for us is to repent. What is repent? Repent literally means to turn away from that which we've done. Not, re not remorse. Remorse is Sorry you, you did it. Regret is sorry you got caught, but repentance means you're getting rid of all of it and putting it under the blood to turn and do it no more. Will you still mess up? Yeah. But you keep turning, turning to Jesus. Today, you feel like this world is overwhelming the church, overwhelming you with the scandals of life. Listen, Jesus is a scandal worth living for. And it'll be a scandal when you go to your family Thanksgiving thing and you talk about Jesus. Somebody will think that's a scandal. We don't talk about religion. We don't talk about politics. Don't buy into that lie. You can skip the politics, but talk about Jesus. Give him the glory. People need help. We need to be sensitive to the master. What's he doing in our lives? Wanting to change our hearts. Wanting to change our homes. Come! Give him all the glory. As we stand, trust the Savior. Don't be as those that he was astonished with.
Believe Him. Trust Him. Come today. Come today.